If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to what we call the book of Romans. Romans is actually a letter, we call it a book. It was a letter written to a church approximately 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, and we believe that it's inspired by God. So we kept it, or the church kept it, in Scripture and considered it Scripture, the very Word of God. So it was written by the Apostle Paul, more than likely from a city called Corinth, and uh, he'd never been there. And so he was writing to them about a number of different things, but primarily he was defining who God was and his relationship to them, specifically two groups of people, those who did not know God or the things of God, what we would call Gentiles, and those that had a long history of knowing God, uh, and we would call those Jews who had the Old Testament law. And he's gone through a number of different things up to the point that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, he's going to describe what it is like to live life following Jesus as a disciple. So if you've ever wondered that, or kind of aren't sure if, if you're doing what you think God wants you to do, or maybe you think you are, but maybe you'd like to double check what you're doing, we're going to cover that. We're not only going to talk about it this week, we're going to talk about it next week as well. So this is kind of a two-part message. And the, the key thing or the key message is, how are we led by the Spirit? So if you know anything about Christianity, you know that, that God created the world and everything in it. Mankind sinned and messed it up. But God had a plan, and that plan was to take away sin, to redeem or save mankind. He did that by sending his own son in the flesh to die or pay for our sins, but not only pay for our sins, but to set us free from sins. And he was resurrected from the grave, and it is in that hope, this future resurrection, that we trust in Jesus Christ, that we believe in him, and that we trust in him as Lord, that we are saved. But when we are saved, God says we are born again. We are created anew. And he not only creates us a new being, a new spirit, but he gives us his spirit as a deposit or guarantee. And it is his spirit dwelling in us, and his spirit functions in a variety of ways. And this is where kind of some of the confusion and misunderstanding and kind of poor teaching or good teaching or, or just no teaching at all is where we find ourselves because we have this great question of how are we to live? We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are born again, as well as we have church, we have scripture, we have a lot of different things. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? So we're going to jump right into it, but as a little bit of, of a preface to next week, we're going to cover just a real top level this week, looking at the major challenges and the major misunderstandings and then the, the underlying foundation for what it really means to be led by the Spirit. And then next week, we're going to get into the very specific hows, what this looks like. So if you're here this week, you'll want to come next week. Even if you're like, man, I, Scott really annoys me. I just want to hear the answer. So come back next week. All right, so we're going to jump right into the passage today. We're going to begin in chapter 8, verse 5. We covered verses 1 through 4 last week. We'll reference them again a little bit this week. But we're going to begin in verse 5. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, inspired by God, to the church at Rome. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Wow. Is that how you thought it was to live according to the Spirit, to be led according to the Spirit? Let's read that again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the very basic question is this. Who is the principal actor? Who is responsible for the action in this passage? Is it the Spirit at work or is it us at work? Let's read it again. Because you aren't responding. You're thinking, hmm, that's too hard of a question. I've only had one cup of coffee today. All right. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Who's doing the action there? We are. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if you're going to live according to the Spirit, you are responsible. Let's contrast this with two other popular notions of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Now these aren't uh, necessarily biblical. They have some biblical reference to them, but you'll see they're very popular in culture and they're not described in this passage, but it's so common you really need to understand what's going on in order to understand this passage. So in your bulletin, you have this picture above us on the slides. How are we led by the Spirit? You have three options, A, B, and C. This is multiple guess or multiple choice. All right. Option number one is A. A is, this is the very familiar pattern that, that you might have run into of people who are claiming to be led by the Spirit. This is where they're kind of going through life, and, and they're very spiritual, if you will. They love Jesus, and they're open. They're asking Jesus to direct them wherever they go, wherever they want to go, every moment of every day. I mean, it, it's, it's really kind of cool because these people really seem to love Jesus, and they're going, Jesus, what, do, what should I do today? What should I eat? What should I wear? Where should I go? And then you're like, man, that's kind of hard to argue. That's not being led by the Spirit because they really seem open to be led by the Spirit. And they're turning left. They're turning right. They're just, they're very spiritual. But notice who's doing the action here. They're asking the Spirit to direct them, but they're just kind of walking. They're just going through life. And they're, they're asking the Spirit at any moment in time, turn me left, turn me right, help me eat this, help me make this decision. They're not actually setting their mind on anything. They're just kind of open. It sounds really good. But notice this, they're generally going someplace. They're going in directions. They're, they're, quote, living life. The challenges I've discovered with this is it's very feeling-based and very little discernment. In fact, almost no discernment. If you question them about the things that they're doing, they get very offended because they are open to the Spirit and they believe it's the Spirit leading them. But let's check out the verse again. It says, for those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Not necessarily asking the Spirit to direct them anywhere. You're actually responsible for setting your mind on something, the things of the Spirit, whatever that is. And we'll work that out a little this week and, and mostly next week. 
So option number two is this, the door leading. Everyone loves doing this. They're looking for open and closed doors in their life. This person loves Jesus. They're saved. And again, the first person's probably saved as well. Probably. Um, this person loves Jesus, and, and, and they're doing stuff that they know probably to be right. They go to church. They go to Bible studies. They maybe even serve in a church. But when it comes to big decisions in their life, who to get married to, what job to take, where to live, they start looking for open and closed proverbial doors. And this is where they really just hunker down and they're praying, Jesus, give me an answer, give me an answer, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me. And they're seriously seeking God, but then if some circumstance happens, they believe, all right, that's, that's Jesus at work and they're being led to go here or led to do this. Again, there's a little bit of discernment in here, but not a whole lot because once you realize these big decisions, God actually talks about them quite a bit in Scripture. And most of the time, most people don't really go back to Scripture and look at the truths that God has revealed to them in order to make that decision. Not only do they not do that, but they don't realize that God, in His Word, gives us a great deal of latitude to do whatever we want. We can get married, but Scripture says you don't have to. In fact, it's better sometimes not to. Uh, God really doesn't care if you live in Baker City or La Grande. You know why? Because it's not written in Scripture. You can live in either place. He cares about what you do in Baker City and La Grande and who you are. So there's a lot of latitude God gives us. And so this opening door idea is a spiritualization of some Scriptures that where Scripture does say there is an open door. But in that sense, Scripture is using open doors always, 100% of the time, without exception, to refer to opportunities to share the gospel. Always. In every instance in which that occurs in Scripture, it is always an opportunity to share the Word of God, without exception. But we take that sometimes and we spiritualize it and we apply it to other areas. But once again, is this person setting their minds on the things of the Spirit? Actually, no. They're stepping back. They've decided what they want to do or not do in a major decision. And then they're asking for the Spirit to direct them rather than setting their minds on the Spirit. Let me give you an example of real life what this looks like, at least help you. Uh, if you're ever in a convoy of a bunch of people going somewhere, like taking a major road trip, you don't want me driving absolutely don't want it because there's some things that you know about me one i used to speed a lot now i never speed unless it's an accident like i'm goofing off and not paying attention so you would hate following me a lot of people love to speed they don't admit it but they love to and they hate 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 following me so you would probably not want me leading the convoy but secondly what i've discovered is people don't like me following them because what happened years ago, I was driving at night, I was part of a large group, we were on a ski trip going to Colorado from Texas, and I lost the headlights of the person in front of me. So I couldn't see him, I wasn't you know, goofing off, it was, it was, I didn't know where I was going, and I, I wasn't paying attention, and, and they got so far in front of me that, quite frankly, I, I couldn't tell their rig from another rig, and that's so cool, I can use the term rig here in Oregon. They don't use that in the South. He was driving a truck, by the way. But anyway, so now, you know what I do? I'm like NASCAR. I'm nose to tail. We're like weaving in and out of lines. 
Have you ever had someone following you that close? Yeah, you don't like it. I've, I've discovered that. But number one, if, you, if you're speeding and you're going to force me to speed to catch up to you, then we're both getting the ticket. I can tell you that right now. We're weaving in and out of traffic. You can't go 10 feet without me being right there. And my lights are going to be in your rearview mirror for hours on end. If, if you're forcing me to follow you, I just don't do it like that. I just follow you really closely. So in this sense, you're leading, but you're really not. What I'm doing is I'm setting my mind or I'm setting my decisions based upon you, and I am following you, but you're not really leading me. I am, I am making a decision to be led in a certain way. I'm setting my mind on something. So in Scripture, it says this, going back to verse 5 once again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Notice it's the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh aren't going, walking around going, cool. No, they're not staring at their bodies. So we're going to learn and we're going to unpack to understand what it means to set your mind on the things of the flesh. It's not looking at your foot all day long, all right? We kind of understand that. I don't even really need to explain that to you, but it becomes important because the next piece of this is this. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds not on the Spirit. It says those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Well, one of the things that you need to know is a little bit of background. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it says this, Jesus speaking here, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. This idea of the Holy Spirit, we are born again. The flesh is no help at all. So he's talking about the same thing here, spirit and flesh. The flesh is no help at all. The words, listen to this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So all of a sudden, we don't have this false dichotomy anymore of the Holy Spirit and Scripture. From the very beginning, when God speaks in Genesis, that is God. You don't separate God's words from God. They represent who he is, his ideas, his commands, his will. So the very word of God is spirit and life. So you really can't separate them. So as you begin to understand, okay, Scott, are you telling me we should set our minds on Scripture? Well, let's see how it goes here. This is where we're going to back up. When you begin to understand the problems with A and B, you'll understand why C actually makes a lot more sense. The idea that we are to take our minds and set them on the things of the Spirit. You do that just like I was setting my mind on the taillights. The taillights technically weren't leading me as we were in that convoy, but I set my mind on them and I was acting in response to them. They were in a sense leading, but I had to make the decision to be led by them. Verse 5, it says this, or verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. So whatever it means to set the mind on the flesh is death. He's going to list several characteristics of what it means to be led by the flesh. And this isn't just kind of like some random stuff like, yeah, it's kind of bad, or you really don't want to do that, but we'll, we'll make an exception if you want to. No. 
He starts out here to set the mind on the flesh is death. In fact, this is so serious, some scholars have, have tried to determine, is he referring to someone who doesn't know Jesus at all here? And, and like he's talking about death, hell, judgment? Or is he talking about the person who, quite frankly, knows God, but if they begin to, to travel a certain path in life, if you will, they will end up dying? We, we see that when we um, observe the Lord's Supper. We, we see sins that can lead to sickness and death, even, judgment. Well, I believe that he's referring to both. He's using the example of the lost person to show the seriousness of it. But later on, as we go forward in Scripture, we'll see that once you are saved, yes, you are born again, but you still are in the flesh. So you have this battle to work out within you. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, number one. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, life and peace. Or in some of your translations, it will say to be spiritually minded because that's actually a noun there. So it's literally a mindset. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So he's contrasting this. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be fleshly minded is death. So all of a sudden, this simple question, how are we led by the spirit, becomes huge. If you feel overwhelmed here this morning, if you're just riddled with anxiety and fear or, or you just don't feel like you're connected to God anymore, this very well could be the problem if you truly know God. You've been living a life that you think is good, but you've never really understood what it means to be led by the Spirit. And it's not easy. He continues, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Characteristic number two of a fleshly minded person. You're actually angry at God. Isn't that kind of crazy? How can you be angry at a being that is holy, loving, just? You're truly angry at God. For it does not submit to God's law. Number three characteristic of the mind that is set on the flesh. You do not want anything to do. You will not submit to the law of God. Whether it's the Old Testament law or the law of Christ, you won't submit to it. Indeed, it cannot. There is this rebellion. There is an aspect of the flesh, these fleshly passions, that will not submit to God's law. It just simply cannot be done in and of itself. Those, notice this, Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot, cannot please God. Can't be done. Now, option A and option B here, that seems like that, that could be pleasing to God. That seems like a, a reasonable way to please God. So, so let me give you an example here before we go on in my life, how I thought I was trying to actually be spirit-led, option A and option B, but I was not doing what I believe is biblical, option C, setting your mind on the things of the spirit. So here's what I was doing. Trying to be a disciple, you examine your life, you examine what it means to be a disciple according to scripture, all these characteristics. One of the things, the characteristics of, of being a disciple of Jesus, imagine this, is actually to do God's word. Imagine that, all right? But then you, then you look at your life, like, how am I doing God's word? How am I prioritizing my life according to Jesus? One of the characteristics in life is entertainment. 
Some of you are like, oh, I don't spend any time on entertainment. I never watch Facebook. I never go to football games. I, well, one of the things that I like to do was TV, and it was costing me like 80 bucks a month. And so another part of your life priority is money. So I could kill two birds in one stone. I could be, I could follow, I could walk down a path, I could make a decision that I thought was godly. We're going to get rid of Dish TV. We're going to get rid of satellite TV because it's really not uplifting. And half the time you turn on the television, there's nothing good on anyway, right? So we're getting rid of it. We got rid of it. I was looking to, to make a decision. I was going someplace. I was making certain decisions in my life that I thought were spiritual, trying to please God, be a disciple. But notice something. Does it take any change in my thinking to make a phone call to Dish and, and cut off the cable? No. Well, it does actually take some action. So I called and cut it off, but then I had a problem. After a little while, I found myself like this. Because I wasn't actually making any internal changes in my life, I was finding all sorts of stuff on the internet <laughs> to look at, like the history of the Studebaker, 1936. That looks interesting. Uh, you just find yourself watching all sorts of stupid stuff when you have absolutely nothing to watch if you haven't made a, a change in your thinking. So I'd made uh, changes in decisions. I was walking certain places, but no change in mindset. So I figured, well, this is ridiculous. That obviously didn't solve the problem, so I'm going to get TV back again. But I am going to save some money. So I, I found an alternative, and here's what I needed to do. I needed to run a coaxial cable from one end of my house to the other in order to, to, to work out what I was trying to do. This involved getting underneath the house. I don't know about you, but any of you who know me know that I do not like flying, stinging insects. I have no idea why God created them. And I don't like spiders. I really, really don't like spiders. Like when I'm on the internet and I see all the news stories, there's always a news story of some lady that got bit by a spider and spent three days in the hospital and nearly died. I don't know if that comes up on your news feed, but I'm, I see those news stories. I, I'm in touch with those news stories. So I thought, all right, I really don't want to do this, but i got to do this. So I'm going to make a plan. I made the plan following Jesus, right? I'm, I'm making steps, right? I'm just going to simply follow. I'm going to jump under the house as quickly as I can. I'm going I'm to I'm run the cable. I'm going to follow the cable that's under there from one end of the house to the other because it, it was still there. I just had him turn it off. The cable was still there. But how do I deal with the spiders, right? I'm like doing like this, and I'm on my belly. I'm like, I've got a plan. I just painted my house. My buddy got a suit because we're spray painting, and these suits cover you from head to toe. For 15 bucks, this is not going to be my painting suit, but this is going to be my spider-free suit, right? And you can probably see little spider guts still on this suit. This is the one. So I went and paid 15 bucks to keep me out of the hospital, save me from uh, the hospital. And guess what? I opened it up, and if you'll notice something, this is the suit. My buddy's suit had a hood, and this one doesn't. What sort of idiot makes a painting suit that's supposed to cover you from head to toe without a hood on? I don't know what sort of idiot makes it because I threw away the package, but I'll tell you what sort of idiot who bought it. That would be me, all right? So in my pursuit of living for Jesus, trying to be led by the Spirit, I'm getting really angry. Fits of anger are welling up in me. I've got a suit without a hood. Now the spider's going to come down my neck, bite me. I'm going to be in the hospital. It's going to be an ugly situation. So never mind. I, I'm in the suit, though, and I, and I, and I get 
down into the basement or in underneath the, the uh, floor and I'm crawling underneath there in the crawl space and I get over, I have to do the, the little army crawl all the way to the end of the, the other side of the house and I find this huge, huge spider web. I think we have a picture of it. Chris, could you hit the picture? This is it. It wasn't a real spider web. The idiots who had run cable, I live in a new house. I've only had two services to two TVs. They put so much coaxial cable under my house. At the top of the picture, that's my garage door to give you some idea as far as reference. This is like an eight-foot circle of a spider web maze of cables. My plan was just to go down there and find one cable and run as quickly as I can to the end of the house, and I run into this. I am ticked. You, am, I, am I setting my mind on the things of the spirit at this point? No. I'm ready to strangle. I'm slandering the cable guy. If he's there, he's an idiot too. I am ticked. So I jump out of the hole as quickly as I can to avoid the spiders. And I'm gonna sit like, what do I do now? So I have a plan. I'm going to be happy. Instead of setting my mind on the things of the spirit where there's life, joy, and peace, my happiness comes in some wire cutters. Wire cutters we're going to take care of this little spiderweb problem. So I jump down there, and I'm, I'm clipping wires, clipping wires, and I drag it all out, and I throw it into the garage there. Judy can't get in the garage because of all the wires. And I come back down, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, it's all done. I get down there, and I'm doing the little army crawl, and I get to where I'm supposed to be, and there's still a wire hanging there. And literally, as I'm cutting this wire, I'm thinking to myself, I know there was only one coaxial cable coming in from the outside of the house, this cannot be the TV, and yet what do I still do? I cut it. <laughs> so instead of dealing with this mess of wires, right as I'm cutting it, I'm thinking, this is not good. And I look at it, and there's all these tiny little wires in there. And I'm thinking, I'm going to have to order like special tools from Switzerland, watchmaking tools, to be able to wire this back together. And I realize it's actually the wire running to my sprinkler system for my yard. Yeah. But I have this moment, and remember, I'm following Jesus, right? I'm being led by the Spirit here. Like, I can wire this back together. I can do this. And by this time, the good news is I forgot all about spiders. I'm so mad at this point. And I go, whoever wired my sprinkler system, apparently they were just the opposite of the idiots who wired my cable system. He put it just enough wire intention to get it to the point that it needed to be. I have no slack to wire it back together. None. That would have been the smart thing to walk away at that point in time. I didn't. Because I wasn't setting my, thing, my mind on the things of the Spirit. No, I'm like... Ugh. Yeah, that works. What happened back there? How did I get all the slack all of a sudden? You know, I still don't have an answer for you to this day because I'm afraid to go back in there. I just, I was so dejected. I just like, I threw my wire cutters up because I had got the TV wire and I'm like, I'm done. And it, it's still down there like that underneath my house today. So I have no idea. My, like the control system for my, my sprinkler system is probably hanging off the wall or laying on the floor or something. Yeah. So... I can, quote, make a decision to follow God, but within that decision, 
this whole being led by the Spirit, it didn't actually change me. It was all external stuff. We're walking places. We're asking for major decisions on where to go or what to do. But being led by the Spirit is actually internal change. And notice this. We're going to give you a little peek at why this is so important. Let's look back in verses uh, 1 through 4, and then we're going to look forward to the big picture. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Well, how did he do that? How do we have this freedom while we're still in this body? He says, verse 3, For God has done with the law weakened by the flesh. The problem is the flesh. It's not some path left or right or some decision on whether or not to buy a house. The problem is our flesh. He says, what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. God's word was not effective because it was just his word out here. He says this, it wasn't the word, it was the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So he didn't send his son, God didn't send his son in the flesh so it could help you look for open doors or to get a, a feeling left or right. He sent his very son in the flesh, not just to pay for our sins, but to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, God's word, might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Skip forward to verse 7. It says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So once again, it's not just set in your mind. Those people who are operating according to our flesh or fleshly desires, as you'll see, can't please God. God didn't send his own son for any random reason. He sent him for a specific purpose. It is to combat the flesh, our fleshly desires. And this will help you understand something. Let's continue forward. Verse 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he's beginning to unpack what it means. And we'll see this more next week what it means to live by the Spirit. Part of it is putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So fear is associated with the body. And then he, then he goes on to this odd thing at the very end in verse 17. He says, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with them. So as you follow him in the spirit, as you set your mind on the things of the spirit, you are actually going to encounter suffering. But what is the solution to this suffering? He says this in verse, let's look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the problem of the flesh 
is not only a problem because it's hostile to God and you can't please God, the solution was sending Jesus in the flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. So when we walk according to the Spirit, we are against the flesh and for the Spirit, but the ultimate solution is the resurrection, the redeeming of our bodies. We no longer will have to deal with the fleshly desires, the problems. So all of a sudden, this idea of resurrection that is so prominent in the New Testament takes on a whole new meaning. It's not just, hey, we get new resurrection bodies, great, uh, no more sin. It is a final solution to enslavement. We no longer have to deal with that. So the resurrection, as you can now understand, is this huge part, the final installment or the final close of what it means to be in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. It's this transformation that finally happens when we, we are no longer in the body, but we are in resurrection bodies. Why is this so important? This is how we'll close today. Notice verse 28. We talked about suffering just a second ago. In verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. I, I've been down the road of, verse of, of A and B here, and I've seen this. People thought, they, they genuinely loved Jesus, and they thought they were being led by the Spirit. They really did but they were looking for feelings. And as they made certain decisions, left or right, or made big decisions, I, I married this, this person, or I moved here, and things didn't work out, and they began to suffer, their entire faith is thrown onto the rocks. They're not sure because they genuinely thought they were following God, trying to follow God, and maybe they're in a marriage 10 years later, and it's not working out. And they're like, did God do this? Am I, am I supposed to be suffering in this way? How is this going to work out for good? And what they don't understand is they actually weren't really being led by the Spirit. There, there was not this internal transformation that we're talking about. They were just simply making random decisions. And if you're just simply making random decisions, then there's no change in you. And your decisions might be good or they might not be good because you're not looking at the full counsel of God oftentimes. You're just looking for feelings and open doors. And it, when those decisions turn out bad, guess what? That wasn't God. If I run out on the highway and get hit by a car, that wasn't God's will, right? If I go into debt $100,000 for a degree, a college degree, and in you know library sciences and i decide to, to work in road construction that's not god god gets blamed for a lot of stupid stuff that we do and, and we endure the suffering and we go well god's going to work it all out for good well he can but here's the cool thing when you're truly being led by the spirit you will encounter suffering but in the midst of that you truly know that that suffering God will work out for his glory for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see this in Acts when the disciples are thrown into prison for, for preaching 
and they're just singing. They're being beaten, and they're singing for joy. They're in prison, not a nice prison like we have, but they're singing hymns to God. You see, in the midst of that kind of suffering, you can rejoice, and you can have life and peace because you're seeing life no longer through this body, but through a resurrection body to come. And you're now no longer thinking according to the flesh, as we'll see next week, but we will be thinking according to the spirit. And when you're there, no matter the waves that come in in life, no matter the problems that hit you, you can be confident, so confident, you can know that God will work it out for good in his glory. And that's what it means to be led by the Spirit, to know what God's will is, to know that he loves you. And we'll find out again next week that there's nothing in the world, spiritual, physical, or otherwise, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. I hope you learn to be led by that spirit and to get to the point in life where you can have life and peace if you're not there today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so very much for your grace in my life. Uh, I'm preaching this message, but as I just confess to everyone here, I'm not living it a lot of times. I think I am. And I believe, quite frankly, a lot of us think we are. But it's not easy. Father, uh, help us to hide your word in our hearts. I discovered this week, Lord, that in in my Bible, there are over 31,000 verses. And if I do the math, I don't have half of it memorized. I don't even have a good chunk of it memorized so I can actually do it. Lord, help us to hide your word, which is spirit and life in our hearts, so we can transform, we can take our thoughts captive and no longer let anger or divisions or envy or rivalries or hatred control us, but help us to love, to have joy and peace, to to live according to your desires, Father. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, I pray this.